Hey there, this is Michael Burris. I'm the lead pastor of Summit View Church in Irving, Kentucky, and this is our podcast. I hope this podcast encourages you, I hope it inspires you, and I hope it helps you to start seeing your life from God's perspective. Thanks for joining us today. Now enjoy the message. Here with you guys and... uh... And Pastor Michael and Cassie, man, you have a gift in them. Uh, For those of you who've been around for a while, you know uh, that they are some special uh, people with a heart for others and a heart for this county and uh, what God's going to do. And uh, and it's just an honor. Uh, Like he said, we've, we've just developed a friendship. And he talks about you behind your back. Just want you to know. But it's all good stuff. He's bragging about you guys and your faith journey and the steps you're taking and what God's doing. I love what God can do in, in a fairgrounds, right? I mean, who would have ever driven by this building and said, you know, I bet one day people are going to meet Jesus in that building and it's just, it's amazing to see what God is doing in this place and to see what this team is doing and I just echo Pastor Michael. If if you're new, you are kicking the tires. Um, kick the tires a little bit, and what you'll find is that there is a uh, beautiful church to be a part of, and it's an honor to be here with you guys and and to share uh, this message with you. Now. What I want to do today is I want to prepare us all for a moment that we will all have, and I want us to be able to to stand in that moment going, I'm glad that I knew what I know, right? We, We will all one day stand before the Lord. At the end of this life, when we step into eternity, we will step into this moment, and and when we get there, we will have either an option where we will go, I wish I knew, or we will say, I'm glad I know, right? And and we've had all kinds of moments like that in our life where we we go, I should have known, I should have known, right? ah, All the clues were there, all the information was there. I should have known, I should have known to invest in Amazon, (laughs) right? I should have known, I should have known, I should have known not to invest in that bank that shut down, right? I should have known. I, I, I should have known not to eat Taco Bell on a long, long car ride. I should, I should have known, right? My, my wife recently, she learned something, and, and now she knows. But there was a time and period where she was, she was going, I, I wish I'd have known, you know, I, I like to from time to time buy my wife chocolate because I just find that she smiles more uh, when I show up with flowers and chocolate. And the problem is, though, it doesn't make sense to me that she would not eat a full bar of chocolate in one sitting. Like, it just doesn't compute with my brain, with my experience. I don't understand. And, and, uh, and so sometimes, you know, I'm like, oh, I guess she just doesn't want the rest of this. Well, yesterday, uh, she was feeling a little under the weather, and I, I brought some chocolate to her. She ate half the bar, and then she looked at me and my 15-year-old son, and she said, just so we are clear, I intend on eating the rest of this chocolate bar, right? There was a time she didn't know, but now she knows. 
And now we know, leave mama's chocolate alone. I think there's some things that God wants us to know. And the great thing is, is that he leads us to this. You know, we live in a world right now where everybody's grasping for the knowledge of God, right? Some people are doing it through religion. Some people are doing it apart from God, trying to figure out the cosmos, trying to figure out what all is happening in the world and why it's happening in the world. And they're so full of questions and everyone's searching for answers. And the great thing about all this is, is if there is a God, and I believe that there is, he doesn't have to leave us to figure it out on our own. That God has literally taken the time to reveal himself to us and even lead us into knowing him more and more. And there's a lot we can learn from looking in the Bible to understand how God has interacted with humanity and interacted with the nation of Israel to to show us a mirror of what he's trying to do in our lives. You think about the nation of Israel. One of the, the times we really meet them, they're slaves in Egypt. And God shows up and he's speaking to them promises over their life. They've, they've heard of God. They've heard of, and they've often at the, up until this point referred to him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was when they did their ancestry DNA. They figured out Abraham was somewhere in there, right? And, and they said, there's this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Moses shows up in Egypt and he says, he has a name. And his name is Yahweh. And he wants to deliver you from this slavery and take you to the land that he promised Abraham. And he begins to unpack some promises that when you see these promises fulfilled in your life, all of a sudden you get to know something that you didn't know before. These promises are found in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. And this is what it says. It says, therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. This is a promise of salvation. God's going, I, I'm, what you've been stuck in, I'm going to bring you out of. I'm going to save you. Right? This is a promise that even extends to us that we would be saved, that we could come to know God. And then he says, I'll free you from being slaves to them. This promise of freedom and deliverance from all the things that have held us back. How many of you know that sometimes you can be brought out of Egypt, but you need Egypt brought out of you? Right? Some of you, you're like, I don't know about me, but I know my husband needs that. Right? And so you've got this promise of freedom. And then he says, I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. To be redeemed, this promise that God would give us back our original value, to, to restore to us that, that what he intended when he created us, this beautiful promise. And then he says, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. So you've got this lost and lonely, oppressed group of people that God is saying, I have so many promises for you. And I am way closer than you realize. Can I lead you? 
can I lead you into everything that I have for you? Because you aren't living in it now, but I want you to live in it. And the beauty is, is all of these promises aren't just the promised land. It's not just that he's saying, hey, I'm going to take you to the land that I promised. He is doing that. But he's saying, I'm going to take you on a journey where you get to experience the promises in your life. And then there comes this really important statement. He says, then you will know. Look at the person next to you and say, then you will know. And now look at the person on the other side that was your second choice and say, I'm sorry for not picking you first. Go ahead, go ahead. You didn't, you didn't say anything to him first, okay? But then tell them, then you will know. Then you will know. So there's something along the journey that he's saying, when you step into everything that I have for you, there's going to be a light bulb moment. Something's going to just click, and you'll know something that you didn't know before, which is amazing to even think about, that God's going, hey, I'm going to come in and I'm going to, I'm going to demonstrate my power over all the false gods of Egypt, and I'm going to bring all these plagues, and I'm going to deliver you from slavery in Egypt. But you won't quite know it yet. You'll see me, but there's some things that you just won't know yet. I'll even, like part the Red Sea and you'll walk across on dry ground. And, and yet even after that, he's saying, I'm still leading you to something that I want you to know that you won't have even realized in that moment. And it's amazing when you think about he, he fed them with manna, this miraculous food that appeared on the ground in the morning. He, he allowed Moses to hit a rock and water to come out to, to quench the thirst of a million people. And yet he's still saying there's something that you won't know yet. Like you might even think that you know, but you won't know it yet. And when you allow me to lead you into every promise that I have for you, then you'll know. Then you'll know. It's interesting that word know because you know, our English language, we, we, we like to take one word and have it mean a bunch of things, right? One word, and it, it's very confusing for people that English isn't their first language. They come here and they're like, I, I learned this word, but then they realize that that word means 17 different things. Well, when you look at our English translation of the Bible, sometimes it's valuable to go, what was the original word, the original Hebrew word in this context that was being used, and what did it mean? Because maybe, I, maybe there's different ways to use the word know, right? Like, is this the knowing, like, I know that two plus two is four? Or does it mean something more? And what's fascinating is when you look at the word used here, and you look at all the other instances in the Bible where it's used, it gives us a fuller meaning of what God's trying to lead us to, this knowing, the first time you see this word used is in the book of Genesis, and it's at the moment that Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit, and they knew. They now knew the knowledge of good and evil. And you go, wait a second, I thought that they should have known it before because God told them. 
right? So there's something that they knew before because God told them, but they didn't know it fully until they had experienced it. And there's some things that God never intended for you to know, right? We live in a world where sin and evil exist, and God's intent for that was that you would never know that. You may have the knowledge that it could be out there, but he didn't want you to know it in this kind of knowing. The second time you see this word used, it talks about Adam and Eve and the relationship. So that Adam knew Eve. And I'm going to allow all the adults in the room to figure out what that means. So this word knowing has a lot of interaction, has a lot of intimacy. It communicates that there's way more depth than just a fact to memorize, but a relationship to cultivate. And God is going, this is where I'm leading you to. So that you will go, I know, I know, I know the Lord. Not just I know about him, but I know him. And he goes on with that statement and he says, Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I want you to know this today. That God wants you to know more than his name. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know more than just his name. I, I grew up in a little small town. And listen, I know some of you, you think you live in a small town. Like, we didn't have, we didn't have Dollar General. That's how small we were. Okay? We, we, got it. we had a piggly wiggly there for a little bit. But this was a little small town in, in North Georgia. That's where this accent comes from. You're like, ah, you sound a little familiar. But there was a little twang there that I don't quite understand. I grew up in a little town in North Georgia. And the interesting thing about my upbringing was that from one angle, you could say I grew up in a Christian home. Because we went to church every Sunday. I went to Sunday school. Went to, to, to big church. Went on Wednesday nights. If there was a VBS, I went to VBS. So on one angle, you could look at my home and you could say, oh, he went to a Christian. He grew up in a Christian home. But if you looked at the other angle and you just saw what happened in my home, the physical abuse, the adultery, the substance abuse, the anger, the turmoil the strife, you'd have said there's nothing Christian about it. And so even as a kid growing up, I, could, I was learning my faith by seeing that, that Christianity maybe was just this thing where you learn all the right verses and you learn all the right truths, but it doesn't really have to impact the way that you live. I was learning a version of Christianity where you had our daily bread devotional in the bathroom. Anybody know what I'm talking about with the our daily bread? I'm aging myself here. Which is just proof that that's the only place that men read is the bathroom. And I would see this and it just didn't make sense because God was never trying to lead us 
to a religion full of rituals and memorization. He was trying to lead us to a relationship of knowing him. Now, all of those things can be valuable as long as they are in the context of a relationship with God. God's trying to lead us to something. So it sounds good, right? Sounds good. God's got all these promises for us, and he's trying to lead us into just knowing him in a, in a way of knowing him that we just, it's down to our core, and you can never go back. Why are we not living that more and more in our lives? Why, why do we fall into the trap of either not living for God at all or uh, God just becomes a memory verse that we, we grab a hold of? Why, why are we not knowing, this knowing that God intends for us? I believe the Bible says it's because we have divided hearts. Our hearts are divided. What does that mean? That means from the moment I was born that there's a part of me that, that is drawn to my creator. There's something in me that when I look out of the stars and I go, wow, wow, this is a, amazing. I want to know the creator of the universe. It's something amazing when I go walking and hiking in the gorge and I, and I come across a beautiful, spectacular view or I come across a waterfall and I just wow, wow. God, I want to know you. So there's a part of my heart that's drawn to that knowing. There's a part of your heart that's drawn to that knowing. But yet I also was born in this world where there's sin. There's a sin nature, but there's also a culture that we live in that lives with habits and hang-ups that are opposite of what God wants. And so I have a divided heart. And so part of me is like, yes, God, I want to know you like you want to lead me into knowing you. I want to serve you like you, you are calling me to serve you because it, it makes no sense that the, the creation wouldn't live for the creator. But Man, I just, I find this battle in me. Paul even talks about it. I, I know what I want to do, but I find myself doing something different. And for some of you, all you know about the Christian journey is that it is a tug of war. But it's not meant to be that way. Your entire Christian journey isn't just about sin management. It isn't just about, oh, I, I want to do this, but I find myself doing this instead. God is trying to lead us to whole hearts. And so there's something really important that I think we need to watch out for. Because if, if there's a part of us that goes, I want to live for God, I want to honor God, and, and, and I recognize that he's wanting to lead me into knowing him more, then I've got to learn how to, when I go to grab a hold of the things that draw me away from him, i I got to see it, and i got to catch it. i got to stop it before it happens. And so i got to know what to watch for. Now, I'm simple. I can't have a three-step thing to watch for. I will forget step two and step three. So I, I, for me, I got one thing that I can, I'm going to watch for in my life. I got I to keep it simple. 
because I'm, I'm from the town with no dollar general, okay? I got to... I got to know, like, what am I watching for that helps me recognize whether I'm gravitating away from God or I'm gravitating towards God? Because when I gravitate towards him, I get to step into all the promises that he has for my life. And that thing that I have recognized that I watch for and I encourage you to watch for is you need to watch what you worship. Watch what you worship. Now, some of you are going, well, I mean, I'm here. We just sang three songs. I worship Jesus. Right? And, and worship is in the corporate singing uh, of an honoring of God. But that's such a, such a small sliver of what worship is. Worship is what I give my heart to. Worship is what I give worth and value to in my life. Worth, worth is, is those things that I place value on. And I wonder if you allowed someone to audit your life, right? Like if they could just observe everything you did for seven days or even observe everything you did for 365 days. And then they were able to come back to you and say, here is what is most important to you. Because they could tell, right? They could tell what is most valuable. They could, I mean, they could tell. They could, look at my, they could look at my habits. They could look at what I spend time doing. They could look at what I spend money on. And they could go, man, these are the top things, the top values of your heart. There's been far too many seasons of my life that if someone were to do that in my life, that the things that I valued most weren't living for God. Maybe it was living for myself. Maybe it was pursuing wealth. Maybe it was pursuing success or achievements. Maybe it was just trying to impress someone or live up to something. I, I realized when I was in my 30s, I, I realized, man, I wasted so many opportunities in my 20s. I was too busy trying to impress my father-in-law that I forgot that I could have just asked him for advice. Like, I spent too much time in my life valuing many other things. And that's worship, the things that we give a prominent place in our life. And so we have to watch what we worship. Because if the creator of the universe has made himself known to us, shouldn't he get the most prominent place in our lives? Well, we, we see this played out with the nation of Israel. God says, I got all these promises for you. I'm going to free you from Egypt. I'm going to take you to the promised land. And I got all this stuff I'm going to do in your life in the process. And he takes them to Mount Sinai. And, and there, this amazing thing happens. Like God's presence descends on the mountain and it's, it's spectacular. It's like the mountain catches on fire and there's smoke and clouds and lightning and thunder and God's speaking from it. It's, it's so powerful that literally the, the whole nation of Israel is slightly terrified, right? And only Moses ends up going to meet with the Lord on the mountain. Everyone was invited, but only Moses was the one that wasn't scared enough because he had met with the Lord before. There was something he knew already that he couldn't go back from 
that led him up the mountain. And he goes up there and he's meeting with the Lord and the Lord's having this conversation with him and they're creating this covenant, the way God's gonna move in the relationship with the nation of Israel and the way he's gonna bless them. And you'd think that this group of people who have seen all these miraculous things would be at a place already of knowing that they couldn't go back from. You would think that they would be down at the base of the mountain going, man, this is an amazing God that we serve. I can't wait for Moses to get back and tell us what Yahweh said. And the craziest thing happens. It's, it's almost like... like in Jesus' life on Palm Sunday, which is today we celebrate the day when Jesus triumphantly entered into Jerusalem and the whole city is waving palm branches and they're calling him the King of Kings and they're, they're worshiping him as the Messiah and then you just fast forward and by the end of the week they're crucifying him. We have to watch what we worship. Here's what it says in Exodus 32 verse 1. It says, when the people saw that Moses was so long coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Dang, they threw Moses to the side quick. He was like a, a day late showing up and they're like, forget this fool. We're going to make a statue. That's all they had known, the culture they had grown up in, is you just made statues and, and gave them names and you worshipped them and, and that became your God. And, and they just resulted to the, the customs of the culture they had grown up in. And, and I think it's easy for us to fall prey to the values and the prominence of what everyone in our society says is most important. And if we don't find, we aren't careful, we find ourselves propping those things up as the most important thing in our life instead of living for God. Because when you don't worship the one true God, you'll worship lesser things, created things. Now, you would think that Aaron, the brother of Moses at this point, would just step in and be like, you dum-dums. What are you thinking? He might have slapped a dude around a little bit and be like, y'all need to chill out right now. You got some crazy ideas. Just go take a nap and Moses will be back here and we'll get this straight. But here's what, Moses, what Aaron did because he was afraid. It says in verse 2, it says, And Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. And so all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron and he took what they handed him and he made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, they said something that I'm sure cut God right to the heart. They said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Literally, God had said, I want you to know I want you to know that I'm Yahweh. I'm your one true God, and I brought you out of, out of Egypt. And because Moses is just a day late coming back from meeting with God, they end up making a golden cow and saying, well, we'll follow this. This is what brought us up out of Egypt. I find in my life it's so easy 
to take the things that God has given me and, and use them to pursue other things that I think are going to be my salvation. I mean, this shows up in all kinds of areas of life, like when I, I'm struggling. It, maybe it's a financial situation, or it's an emotional situation, or it's a relational situation, and I'm, just, I'm waiting for God to show up, and it just seems like He's a day late. And so then I run to what I see all the rest of the world doing to solve my problem. What's fascinating is that they actually use this gold to make a calf, but God had another purpose for it that was much better. All these earrings, by the way, were given to them by the Egyptians on their way out of Egypt. God plundered Egypt and gave them gold and silver and fine linen and, and, and cattle on their way out because God had a purpose for it. And while they were making something to put in the place of God in their life, God was meeting with Moses and trying to show them how to use these same things to build a tabernacle so that they could know him more. We have to pay attention to what God is wanting to do in our lives. Now here's the big, the big moment. Moses comes down. He sees the situation. He takes the stone tablets that this covenant is written on. He throws them down and he breaks them. God is clearly upset about the situation. And God says something very interesting to the people. He says, you know what? Why don't you just go to the promised land? I'll, I'll even send an angel before you. I'll take care of all the battles that you will have to face. And you just, you just go on to the promised land. But I'm not going with you. Think about that for a second. God had already made a covenant with Abraham, which is why they were going to go to the promised land to begin with. But he had all these other promises wrapped up in his presence that they were not going to get to experience. They would get the promised land, but they would miss out on something all along the way. Thankfully, the people repented. They said, God, we don't want to go without you. Moses literally stood before the Lord. We don't want to go if you don't go. And he said, fine, I, I will give you my presence. My presence will dwell with you. Now, here's the thing for us. We have this new covenant with Jesus. That when we accept the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and apply it to our sins. Listen, we, we can't work hard enough and be good enough to overcome our sins and get good enough for God. We've fallen too short. But the sacrifice of Jesus was good enough. The sacrifice of Jesus was good enough. And, and we can accept that. And what happens when we do is that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life and our place in heaven is, is being prepared for us. And when I was young, that was all that was talked about about salvation was if you died tonight, would you know that you are going to heaven? And I think we missed another part of what God was wanting us to do. 
It is possible for you to become a Christian and go to heaven and miss out on the presence of God in your life here and now. It's possible for you to step into the promised land later and miss out on all the promises that God has for you right now. And so my message to you today, my challenge to all of us today is let us allow allow God to lead us into knowing Him. Knowing Him in that close, intimate way where we we get to know Him to the core that there is no going back from. And we don't put anything else in his place in our life, but we live a life fully devoted to him. God, whatever I have, it's yours. Whatever you want me to do, I will do. I am yours. I am at your service. God, lead me. I'm not waiting to heaven to experience the heaven on earth that you have for me. Here's my challenge Let's not turn Christianity into a religion of rules and miss the relationship that God has always intended for us to have. So here's our prayer from Ezekiel 11. Ezekiel says this is a promise from the Lord to us. It says, I will give them an undivided heart. That means to you and I, there's this opportunity of a gift from the Lord. This divided heart that pulls at our heartstrings and tugs us to and fro. God goes, I'll give you an undivided heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from them a heart of stone, not just that it's unresponsive. This is even a play on words, a, a heart connected just to the law built on tablets. I'll give them a heart of flesh, receptive responsive then they'll follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws and he echoes this statement that he said in Exodus 6 and then they will be my people and I will be their God you know this past weekend I I finally used a gift card that someone gave me at Christmas I end up doing that sometimes with gift cards. I finally am like searching through my wallet. I'm like, oh, dang. Like I could have gone to Chick-fil-A the other day. I didn't even know. I think I still got like a Dairy Queen card in there. Is there a Dairy Queen around here? I don't know. There's a Dollar, dollar General, I know that. But I carried around with me something that I could have cashed in at any time. And it says that God gives us this. And like any gift, we've got to receive it and unwrap it. And so I want to encourage you today and maybe every single day to make it your prayer. God, give me this undivided heart that I wouldn't give my heart to anything else in this world, but my heart would be fully devoted to you. Put a new spirit in me. Because here's the challenge. Don't neglect the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. God has given himself to you. His presence is made known to you in the work of the Holy Spirit. Welcome it. God, I receive the work that you want to do in my life. 
I welcome your presence. Because a new life in Christ doesn't just begin at the moment that you die. See, rebirth begins at the moment that you accept that gift of salvation. And I love that God's nature is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because while they were making a golden calf down in the valley, God was making a covenant with them on the mountain. And we even see this so true in the New Testament. Romans 5, 8 says this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't that God saw you on your best day and thought, I'll give my life for them. He saw us on our worst day. He saw me on my worst day and he said, I'll give my life for you because I want you to know me. And so when we stand before the Lord at the end of this life, as we step into eternity, I want us all to be able to go, I'm so glad I knew. Not just knew the name of Jesus as the salvation of our souls that secures our eternal resting place. But I'm so glad I knew that God was with me every step of the way. And I got to step into every promise that he had for me. Well, thanks for joining us today. I pray that this message had an incredible impact on your life. If you want more information about our church, you can check us out online at summitview.online. We hope we get to see you on a Sunday very, very soon. But until then, have a great week.